Sustainable Approach in Composites Bonding and Challenges of Scalability of Processes on the Line in Automotive Industry. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Our guest today is Mark Jacobs. Mark Jacobs is the CEO of Molecular Plasma Group. So Mark, let me introduce you to our audience. You have completed a master's degree in engineering in Belgium. Later in your career, you also completed a Sloan master's in leadership and strategy at London Business School. You spent over 25 years in the PT packaging and recycling industry and founded a number of companies. One of the companies focuses on helping organizations solve business challenges created by cultural diversity. This is a subject that interests you very much. It's no coincidence that you're also co-author of the book Negotiate Like a Local. You could probably negotiate in various languages of the world because you have already lived in four countries. You lived in Belgium, Italy, UK and Luxembourg. And you are fluent in five languages. You definitely have my sincere admiration in this regard. And very briefly about Molecular Plasma Group or short MPG before we start. MPG was founded in 2016 and it provides innovative eco-friendly surface functionalization solutions. The solutions can replace highly toxic chemical-based systems in a wide range of industries such as biomedical technology, advanced composites and others. Today we will certainly focus on composite bondings only. So the precursors you can use can be organic, nanoparticles or biomolecules. The process you are using at MPG is a scalable, dry, ambient and atmospheric process. Additionally, MPG develops customized solutions using the molecular grip technology for improved adhesion between difficult to bond materials with custom designed primer layers and lift technology for nanostructured, water repellent and non-stick coatings. And today we will talk about composite bonding in automotive industry, sustainability in bonding technologies, business scaling, innovative thinking, business corporations and leadership. Mark, let's dive into the subject a bit chronologically. How was MPG founded and what is your vision with this company? Thank you very much for the kind introduction, Ludmilla. MPG was founded uh, early 2016 by a researcher from the LIST. The, the LIST is the Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology. I was at the time um, looking to accompany startups and, and maybe investing in, in interesting startups. And that's how I got connected to, to MPG uh, by Lux Innovation. Now, over the months that followed, uh, I became really intrigued by the technology and the potential of the technology. And at a certain point in time, we went to a Belgian research organization, Vito, who is actually the original uh, developer of the technology, to, to make some samples. And uh, when I was there, I understood that Vito also was looking at spinning off the technology and was working with uh, some Belgian investors to, to look at a spin-off project. So luck would have it that uh, I knew one of them. Uh, so we start talking and say, why don't we do this together? And 
put together the spin-off from the list with a spin-off of the core technology from Vito. Vito, by the way, is the Flemish Institute for Technology Development. And we did that, and actually early 2017, we signed a spin-off agreement with Vito, and that was, let's say, the real start of the company uh, where we could really go and put this technology in the market. So our mission really is to further develop and commercialize this technology. And the way we do that is, is we start with application development services, and then from there through a very automotive uh, style stage gate process, we take the developed applications all the way up to robust industrial implementation. In the automotive industry, you are active in the field of bonding. Since I myself have a strong interdisciplinary background, it is by chance that I personally have very practical experience from my previous work in this technological topic, bonding. Actually, plasma technologies are not exactly a recent invention, and yet you claim that MPG technology is different from what is known about plasma applications. Would you like to tell us more about what exactly makes your technology different? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right, Ludmilla. Um, plasma technologies have been around for a long, long time. But ours is really, really unique and to the point where my general statement to customers is that if you have a problem that you can solve with current corona-like or open-air plasmas or whatever you want to call them, um, and you can solve it with that, go ahead. Don't bother talking to us. We are not an alternative or just a slightly cheaper version, uh, whatever, of what already exists. We are not competing with existing plasma technologies, period. Simple as that. What makes us absolutely unique is that our technology is at the super low energy side of the spectrum. We only barely bring the uh, the gas into the plasma state. Uh, we generate the plasma without any arcing between the electrodes. Uh, so we have a super, super soft plasma. And that enables us to introduce organic chemistry in the plasma stream, activate the chemistry, meaning opening the weakest bond of the molecules and maintaining their functionality intact. At the same time, activating the surface and then bonding the organic chemistry onto the surface that we're treating. So what we're actually doing is using plasma as a delivery mechanism to bring organic chemistry to, to a surface, to graft it, to bind it covalently onto any surface. And the technology really works on anything. We go from uh, highly inert materials like Teflon or gold or polypropylene, uh, titanium, all the way down to very sensitive materials like cellulose. Um, we, can, we can treat paper for up to an hour stationary without degrading it, just to give you an idea of, of how gentle that plasma is. A further example to show how gentle our plasma is, is that we can even introduce complex biomolecules, such as antibodies, uh, peptides, proteins, uh, DNA, inside the plasma stream activate them, just like with any other organic chemistry, and graft them onto the substrate, all the while whilst maintaining full biofunctionality. We have demonstrated this um, recently to, in, in a project together with the University of Leuven, and we have many projects ongoing developing this technology further. But just imagine a complex biomolecule, like an antibody, throwing it inside the plasma, bringing it inside the plasma without destroying it, keeping full biofunctionality. Try and do that with any other atmospheric plasma system you know, and I wish you good luck. That is the key differentiator of the capability of the technology. Now we can get down to the functionalization of the surface. Let's keep it simple for now. It's not physical bonds, but chemical bonds that are created between the added chemical compounds and the surface. What kind of compounds can be used? In other words, what functional groups can be brought to the surface with your technology? 
we are indeed creating chemical bonds. So what's happening is that you actually get a radical recombination reaction between the activated chemistry and the activated surface, which uh, then means that that this uh, the chemistry is actually properly, correctly bonded, chemically bonded to the surface. Types of materials are, or types of functional groups are, are extremely wide. Uh, but if you think specifically about bonding, um, we bring uh, groups like carboxyl groups, uh, epoxies, isocyanates, primary amines, hydroxyl groups, organosiloxanes. Um, you can see the, the, the breadth and scope of this. Um, as long as, as it's organic, we can do it. The technology is really focused on organic chemistry. And now let's look at the other side. Which materials can be used as surfaces, as substrates? Where are the possibilities, but also the limitations? In terms of materials, we really have not come across any significant limitations yet. Uh, we, as mentioned before, we can go from highly sensitive materials like, like cellulose, uh, all the way up to highly inert materials, metals, glass, uh, polyolefins, even Teflon. And Teflon is notoriously difficult to, um, to stick to. It's the whole point of Teflon most of the time. However, there are um, quite some applications where people do want to stick stuff on Teflon. And with our technology, we can rather easily, compared to at least to existing technologies, we can rather easily accomplish that. In the automotive trim shop, where, for example, the windshield and other glasses, as well as other decorative elements are assembled using the direct glazing process or similar processes, even the smallest time unit counts. Everything is timed and it would be an advantage if one or maybe even more steps could be eliminated. We usually have the following steps. We have the cleaning of the surfaces, we have pretreatment, application of the adhesive and assembling. Pretreatments are rarely water-based applications, mostly the product contains solvents. What is the practical setup directly on the line with your technology and what are the advantages? With our process, the cleaning of the surface uh, remains very important, but the pretreatment, which... Um still often is, is a fairly manual operation, can be fully automated. We have, uh, we would not use any solvents. We, with the technology, you can graft the functional chemistry straight onto the glass and you'd be operational. You can put on the adhesive straight away. So there's no, no waiting time, no nothing. Um, and then there's also no maximum time because uh, the functional chemistry that we deposit remains normally uh, stable and active for weeks, even months. The traceability of the work steps taken is also very important on the automotive line. How can it be checked whether a surface has already been treated or not? For example, if work on the line had to be interrupted unplanned. Actually, there are three elements to this question. Uh, first of all, our technology has to be installed on an automated system. So you're already removing the risks of, of any type of manual operation. Um, secondly, All the critical process parameters are SPC controlled and tracked. So you can always go back to, um, to have a look at what the process parameters were uh, for a specific part that was produced. And thirdly, we have the ability to introduce um, tracer elements into the, uh, the chemistry that we deposit. Those tracer elements will show up under UV light. So you can actually do an inline control right there and then Uh, when you're depositing, but you can also take a picture of the final uh, treated product and keep that picture for traceability purposes so you can demonstrate at any point in time in the future that yes, actually this part was properly pretreated. MPG has applications in the biomedical field too. I know that you are also working on antiviral coatings. 
Do you think that this could be also of interest to the automotive industry, especially considering the current situation? Yeah, Ludmilla, you're absolutely right. We are very active even in the biomedical field with a wide range of coatings. Um, one of them is antiviral coatings onto personal protective equipment. And we are experiencing interest from a wider range of industries, be it uh, polymer films, be it uh, textiles, for this type of functionality. So yes, I can easily see um, a range of potential applications of this technology, the antiviral capacity of, of the technology um, in the automotive sphere. Relevance of application, practical use and implementation, environmental benefits are all very important points to introduce a new technology. But the cost factor is also very important in order to completely convince the potential users. What are the costs for this application? And also another related question, from what quantity would it make sense to introduce this technology? Obviously, cost is uh, an important element and, and very often projects are initiated by first doing a, a budgeting of, of what the TCO might be um, for our technology. And I stress the fact TCO because it's not just about the cost, it's about what's the overall value that, that the technology brings. Um, think about the direct glazing situation where um, we, we are a very interesting alternative. We offer a very Ill interesting alternative for um, process, a process step that's still mostly manual, or at least not very well controlled. So in our case, um, the cost elements are uh, depreciation for the capital equipment, which because typically we deliver a technology, a capital equipment, a machine that is going into the customer's production line. And then uh, the running costs are electricity, the consumption of the chemistry and uh, the consumption of the gas. Now, the gas, depending on, on the size of the line, um, can also become a, um, a depreciation cost because we can add a nitrogen generator, for instance, to, to the delivery package. And um, then the consumer will still simply become energy and a little bit of, of chemistry. Chemistry, which is extremely small, just to give you a perspective, we tend to use something like five milliliters of precursor chemistry per hundred square meters that we treat. So for many, many applications, that means that that aspect of the cost is, is utterly, uh, utterly negligible. Um, from an energy perspective, uh, we generate a super low energy plasma, which is exactly what allows us to introduce this organic chemistry and work with that. So therefore, on a comparative basis versus other technologies, equally the, the energy uh, consumption is extremely low. So overall, when you think about a manufacturing process where you have some reasonable numbers so that the, the per unit depreciation cost um, isn't too high, it, it's actually a very competitive technology. In the life of every startup company, at least when things are going well, sooner or later the question of scaling comes up. How are you going to scale it further? We've deliberately chosen to position ourselves as a, a key enabling technology platform because fundamentally uh, we can bring value to so many different sectors with so many different functionalities um, that we simply didn't want to limit ourselves to, to one uh, application or one market. And by doing that, we also inherently create a very resilient company because if one industry goes down, another one will go up and actually we're experiencing that today. Um, so how do we scale from there? Um, we are partnering with, with uh, large global um, companies that, that um, 
have a dominant market share in, in certain types of applications that our, where our technology can bring significant value. Several of those are actually uh, in the automotive industry, uh, but not only. Um, then the, the other one is that we, um, we sell actually R&D systems to universities, to RTOs, but also to R&D labs of, of uh, major industrial players. Because what we see quite often is that um, um, a customer comes to us with, with one pain point, one problem, and once they understand what the technology can do, then suddenly the light goes on and, and they think, whoa, I can actually solve two, three, four, maybe even 10 pain points that I have in my manufacturing process with this technology. And at that point in time, they um, uh, they generally want to have one of our lab systems in-house in their own R&D activities to develop the solution that, that, is, uh, that is specific to them. Um, for the universe or the, the range of solutions for the universities, same thing. You know, there's quite often there's fundamental research done on some type of small bench laptop uh, lab equipment, but it's never scalable. The big advantage for for uh, universities research centers is that anything they develop on our lab systems, we guarantee that we will will be able to scale this to to industrial solutions. So today, we have about ten uh, systems already in the market uh, in Europe. Um, several of which are, are at industrial, uh, large industrial companies that are tier one automotive players. So various paths towards scaling. And one example of a potential partner is, is a company that I obviously can't name, but uh, who's a major player in, in the world of adhesives, um, who is right now evaluating uh, various aspects of our technology and who said, look, um, if this really brings the additional value uh, on top of our current uh, portfolio solutions, then we believe it does, then can you support us with uh, lab systems throughout the world and all our uh, local application development centers? And the obvious answer is, is absolutely yes. So you can see how this um, could very, very quickly allow us to scale very fast globally. What are the biggest challenges that your company faces today, be it technological challenges or in terms of business development? Our technology is actually very robust, both mechanically as well as from a process perspective. And typical treatment speeds today are uh, up to 30 to 50 meters per minute, which covers the needs for a wide range of industries already. Uh, so on the technological side, what are we working on? We're working on, on speeding up further to 100, 200 meters uh, a minute, because that's what's required for uh, some of our customers. Our bigger challenge is uh, really... Um, Potential customers are especially plasma specialists saying, I know everything about plasma. Um, I don't believe what you're telling me because I'm a plasma expert. And, um, so breaking through that barrier and making them understand that actually whatever they, they know about historically about plasma, uh, what we bring to the market is something completely new. We are not just another alternative for something that already existed for quite a long time. No, we bring totally utterly new capabilities to the market. So it's really breaking that barrier. Now, um, from a, a market development perspective, again, um, everyone is asking for references, but nobody's willing to give them because uh, almost always our customers, uh, once they are start working with us and understand the competitive advantage that, that it brings them, they absolutely don't want anybody to know. 
that they're working with us, that they're developing solutions with us. So we have very few public references. Um, I think the, 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 the best one, uh, most relevant for the automotive sector is, is Ariane Group, um, for whom we are, um, developing a, um, a solution for a very difficult adhesion problem. They, they're very happy with us and they, um, they allowed us to use their name as, as a reference. So I'm, I'm very happy, happy and, and grateful to Ariane Group for that, that they allowed us to do that. For a startup, perhaps even more so than for a long-established company, highly motivated employees who have very strongly internalized the common vision and figuratively speaking, invest a lot of heart, sweat and blood in the company are very important. Would you like to tell us something about the MPG team and how you are prepared for the daily challenges of a startup? Each member of our team is driven by, by the belief, even by the conviction that with our technology, we can bring a strong, positive, scalable contribution to the world. Um, that gets us up in the morning. That makes us work late at night, weekends, etc. Uh, I invite all of you to have a look at, at our team members on our, on our website. You'll see that they're all highly experienced um, people with, with very significant track records in, in various industries. So, yes, we're a startup. Yes, we're still a relatively small team. But the combined experience of, um, of our team members is uh, extremely impressive. With Luxembourg, you have chosen a very interesting location. Were there any particular strategic reasons for this decision? I moved to Luxembourg in 98 as co-founder of a plastics injection molding company and very quickly discovered the, uh, the advantages that Luxembourg had to offer. Just to, to give you just a few, and it, it's a very um, pragmatic place that's, that's very solution-oriented. It's very open to the world, so there's no protectionist type of thinking. It's got a great... Uh, startup support ecosystem and it's also very competitive in, in terms of, of overall salary cost besides that you know people speak three to five languages that's the absolute norm uh, in our company everyone speaks three to five languages and the quality of life is very good as well in Luxembourg so you know what more can you wish um, if you want to build a, a company with uh, with global ambitions so Which established collaborations do you have in the automotive industry or in the topic of bonding in general, if you can speak freely about it, of course? As I mentioned before, one of our business development challenges is that uh, nobody wants anybody else to know that they're working with our technology because they consider it as a major uh, competitive advantage to keep that secret as long as possible. What I can say is that we are working with several tier one um, automotive uh, supply companies uh, with headquarters in various um, countries in Europe that have invested in our technology. And on the other hand, as I, equally as I mentioned before, in terms of, of uh, bonding, we are uh, developing partnerships with um, global companies in, in this field of business. But again, I can't mention any names. What future collaborations would you like to see? And where do you see clear potential for win-win collaborations? If I look at our customer base, um, specifically uh, customers that, that have challenges around adhesion, they, they don't come to us to, to find a solution that's maybe a little bit cheaper or, or, or slightly different from uh, an established solution that works well. Generally, they come to us um, uh, when they have a really difficult problem to solve, 
um, for which they have not been able to find solutions in the market for, sometimes for, for up to a decade. And then, then finally they find us and, and it's like, ah, oh, I wish I'd had this technology however many years ago. Um, and then we, we start entering in, in, into development projects. So um, if, if I, in, in terms of, of, of win-win partnerships, um, I come back to, to uh, players in, in global players in, in the adhesives world. We, um, I can see major win-win situations here. We're not there to replace existing things that work well. We are there to bring uh, solutions to problems that simply they don't have solutions for today. But it's actually their customers that, that have this type of problems. Um, I, I see it a lot that um, people come to us and say, I've been working on this with... Um, with Henkel, with Sika, with, with whomever, it doesn't matter, uh, with, with, with the global um, adhesive supplier, because that's where you go when you have an adhesion problem. That, that's your normal landing uh, place uh, with this type of problems. And they've been working on it for, for a long time, and the established players have not been able to, to, to solve the problem. Well, we can solve the problem. Uh, so partnering with, with, with established players to to uh, to solve the problems that their customers have, that they can't solve with their existing portfolio solutions. That's where we can really develop win-win situations that are uh, scalable for everybody involved. And when we talk about MPG's business development in general, what will you focus on in the future? Can you tell us anything more in particular? The essence of our technology is that we can graft um, sensitive organic chemistries uh, to any surface. And the areas where we've uh, demonstrated that we bring real value um, is in adhesion improvement on, on very difficult applications, first of all, but also the reverse functionality, uh, release functionality. So those are the two pillars. It's about adhesion and release functionalities across many industries. In, in, in automotive, you can easily see how that applies in terms of adhesion, etc. But if you, if you look at the um, healthcare industry, fundamentally it's the same. It's about adhesion of, say, antiviral compounds to, um, to a support structure, to a textile, to whatever. It's about adhesion of complex biomolecules such as um, antibodies, uh, DNA, peptides, proteins. And the release functionality actually then creates an anti-biofouling functionality um, for this type of industry. So it's always about adhesion and release in its various types of applications. From our previous conversations, I know that you have another very special and exciting business activity. Would you like to tell us a little bit about how you became interested in this topic and has it already helped you in your professional life? Indeed. Um, I'm a partner of Hofstede Insights and co-founder of Hofstede Insights uh, Luxembourg, Belgium. Um, Hofstede Insights is a, a consultancy organization that helps organizations uh, perform better um, across different cultures. I became interested in this because uh, being based in, in Luxembourg, where everything was de facto multicultural, multilingual, and our core customer base was, was let's say, in, in thousand kilometers around Luxembourg, it became obvious very quickly that doing business in Germany was very, very different from doing business in, in France. Again, very different from how business is done in, in the UK, etc. And we we actually took that on board as part of our corporate culture to, to adapt the way we did business as a function of our customers normal. And it was one of the key success factors of, of my previous business. Now, 
Um, in, in 2012, I, I stumbled across an academic framework by Professor Geert Hofstede, who is a Dutch uh, engineer, became social psychologist, whose life work um, has been to put numbers, so a quantified system, um, onto these cultural differences, national cultural differences. So imagine for an engineer like me stumbling on a system that puts numbers on um, cultural differences. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You, know, you, you transform something fluffy, let's say, in, into a tangible, measurable, manageable uh, subject. So I, I looked into that a bit deeper. I was absolutely impressed by, by that academic framework. We even did a workshop in my previous company with our uh, European management. And that's really when the light went on and I saw how powerful this was. So um, this was well before MPG. Uh, I joined that organization. I, I co-founded the business here locally. Um, I co-ordered a book on this as well, um, on how to use this, this framework to, to be more effective in, in international B2B uh, negotiation. The book is called Negotiate Like a Local. It's available on, on Amazon. Um, I'm very proud that in the meantime, there is a Italian version that has been published and was translated by my colleagues in Italy. Uh, there's also a Chinese version that's available um, on Amazon and it's recently been published. And that's really, uh, I'm very, very proud of that, uh, by uh, Fudan University Press in China, both in in, um, uh, in, in paperback and, and e-book version. You know, for those that don't know, Fudan University, it, it's an equivalent of, of Harvard or something similar in the States. It's one of the top three universities in China. So today at MPG, everybody's trained in, in the subject. And obviously, my book is mandatory reading because uh, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, it, it will help us be more successful, especially since we really have global ambitions and uh, being able to to bridge these um, different ways of doing business um, in a in a proactive, structured manner will uh, I'm absolutely sure be again be a, a key success factor for our business. The life of a startup company is not always bright, and it can be very challenging from time to time. What helps you when the ocean of business, metaphorically speaking, becomes rough? First of all, is the the absolute certainty that with the the fantastic team that we have, we can handle almost anything that the world throws at us. Secondly, with our technology, we, we are clearly sailing with the wind in terms of, of uh, the huge impact we can have on, on um, environmental performance of, of, of many, uh, many manufacturing processes. So even if there are temporary glitches, we are clearly um, a part of, 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 uh, of the future in, in terms of technology. And then thirdly, you know, um, actually that's all confirmed by, by our customers' feedback who, when, when they start working with us, when they see what the technology can do, they give us such a boost uh, simply by, by their enthusiasm uh, for the technology. So take all that together. Um, I look at all that and yes, uh, sometimes life's difficult, but um, uh, it gives me the certainty. It gives me the, the, the confidence that um, we'll handle it. Mark, you are a serial entrepreneur and you are currently involved in five companies. Where do you get your entrepreneurial inspiration from? What helps you to generate new technical ideas, but also new business ideas? There's no simple answer to that question, but I think the basis is, uh, I come from a family of, of entrepreneurs, so I think that uh, underlies everything else. Um, 
then generally, you know, I'm someone who, who asks the question why a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm driven by curiosity. I need to understand why things are the way they are or why they are not. Um, and that then always opens a lot of new doors with a lot of new possibilities. And then, you know, I, I'm... I'm not a perfectionist, but I really don't like a status quo or, or the concept of, of good enough. Um, good enough just isn't good enough for me. And in general, I mean, if I find if I don't like something or, or kind of my, my, my attitude is if you don't like something, don't complain about it. Do something about it and, and preferably at scale. So this, this underlies many of the things I've done. It underlies me uh, being a co-founder also for a, of a non-profit organization in Luxembourg, which links to, to the other business activity, the cultural side. We actually co-founded um, a, a non-profit organization, MDCI, to, to help social workers um, cross that cultural bridge to, with, with the refugees from, from Syria, Iraq, etc. Et and in, in that same spirit, I'm, um, I'm a town council member in, in my local commune. So in a nutshell, I guess um, I'm an inquisitive person that, that likes to make a difference, that likes to find solutions um, for problems at scale and then likes the challenge of, of making it happen. You described your team to us just a moment ago. And it is indeed the case that the team and the cooperation of the individual team members plays such an important role, especially in a startup company. Could you please describe your company culture in three words? I can't actually do that in three words. And uh, you'll understand that I would want to uh, word it in, in the framework of, of uh, Hofstede's multi-focus model of, of organizational culture. So to use that as a background, I'd say our company culture is, is very goal-oriented. We, we really want to achieve stuff. We're very customer-focused. We're fairly easygoing. And, but we're very, very professional. At the same time, we have a very open culture, so it, it's easy to, to, to join our team. And we are very employee-oriented. These six elements are actually statistically independent variables in, in Hofstede's multifocus model of uh, organizational culture. So for those who want to learn a little bit more about it, uh, I invite you to visit uh, the website of Hofstede Insights. Mark, and now regarding your role in the team, could you please describe your leadership style in three words? And is there anything that you are still working on and improving? I'd say it's definitely egalitarian, uh, to put it in, in words of Hofstede terminology, and, and collaborative. Um, I will always look for uh, opinions of, of, of the team and try to get to a consensus decision on what to do, where to go. Um, I delegate quite easily. But I do have high expectations. And if um, the job isn't done the way I think it ought to be done, I can actually be a very annoying micromanager. After so many years in business, after so many companies, also including very successful companies, are your decisions more gut-based or data-based? It's definitely a combination of both. I trust my gut, both on business trends, where will the world go in the next couple of years? What do we need to do to be, to be part of that, etc.? Um, as well as with people, I, I trust my gut um, with respect to people. I'm not always right, but still. Um, but beyond that, uh, the other part of it is definitely database. You can't run a company uh, without having a firm grip on the numbers. Um, so it's, it's clearly a combination of both. Mark, how do you cope with failures? Are failures and defeats on the road to success simply unavoidable? Well, I clearly don't, don't like to fail. And that, that's one of the, the things that... that drives me. 
are are failures unavoidable? For sure they are. But I think I'd like to put it again in 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 the framework of Hofstede 6D model of national cultures now, which is called uncertainty avoidance. There are countries that are cultures that uh, put much more emphasis on planning and preparation before execution, uh, say Germany or, or Japan, uh, to pick, take an extreme uh, example. And there are cultures that are much more at ease with uh, just try something. If you fail, that's all right. Just try again and, until it works. And now you're, for instance, much more on the Anglo-Saxon side of, um, of the spectrum. Now, me, I'm more on the German side of it. I like to plan. I like to think about stuff. I like to, to prepare for stuff and then execute. So um, linked with that is if you've invested so much in preparation, thinking stuff through, etc., well, generally, you don't like to fail. Um, that's where I fit. At the same time, I'm very happy to, to take risks. Otherwise, I would not be a serial entrepreneur. So the the willingness to take risks uh, versus the, um, say, not being happy with, with, uh, with failing are, are two different things. To take the example of MPG, it, it really started just as, let's say, a whiff of possibility. And we've we've had to pivot several times in the last couple of years before we got the business model right, the um, the market right, etc. So we've taken huge risks, um, had quite some failures, um, but we learned from it. And I think that is the purpose of, of failures and the only purpose of it. You look at it, you analyze it, you learn from it, you move on. You don't dwell on it. That's just absorbs a whole lot of uh, energy, waste energy that, that's not productive. Mark, was there a mistake in your life or a no as an answer, which in retrospect led to an even better result? Would you like to share a story from your life with us? I've made quite a few mistakes in my life and, and I've had quite a few also very painful, pivotal moments uh, throughout my life. Uh, the, I'd say the first one um, that really, from a professional perspective, made, made a huge impact was um, as a young engineer, I was hired by... Um, Johnson Controls at the time in, in plastics packaging world in, in, in Belgium as a production manager. And um, the plant was, was, was run by a young American manager. And he clearly had very different expectations about how production should be managed than, than I did. And um, at a certain point, he uh, essentially wanted to fire me. Now, in the meantime, uh, another guy had come on board. Um, who was in charge of of, uh, of sales, and his name was Matthew. And uh, he convinced my boss not to fire me, but to to change the job, because what he'd seen was that I simply wasn't compatible. I wasn't the right person to do a day-to-day -day management job. And for what you've heard before, I think you can understand why. Um, so he uh, put me in a different job, which was... Um, um, customer assistance engineer and I started traveling uh, throughout Europe to help customers out and, and uh, that was an absolute perfect fit for me and I, I excelled in that and that um, although at the time when when he when they changed my job I was actually very angry because I felt I hadn't gotten the opportunity to show that I could do this and what I couldn't see at that time was that that job was not for me I was simply not compatible with 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 that type of job and I never have been since um, so that was a big painful learning uh, but in hindsight also very insightful do you have a role model or was someone in your business life inspiring guiding maybe even a kind of a mentor I do um, I consider the, the guy I just mentioned Matthew as, as a very important mentor in, in, in my professional life 
Um, what he did at the time was was a pivotal moment, and ever since then, um, up to a few years ago, we, we we worked together very very successfully. And he's he's taught me a lot of stuff um, about how to how to do business. He gave me the opportunity to grow in into sales into general management, um, and has always been a constructive guide for me. I will always be grateful to him for how he helped me grow, how he gave me the opportunity to to, to grow. Um, he's the reason why um, I'm pretty active as well as a mentor today um, with, with younger people, with startups. I'm a mentor at the uh, the University of Luxembourg uh, incubator, for instance. And actually, it, it's through this this um, mentoring um, of, of startups that I actually got involved with with the original founder of MPG, with with uh, the guy who created the spin-off from uh, from the list. So in the end, everything's connected, and really the the, the start of MPG for me is anchored into the whole concept of of mentoring others. Mark, do you have a motto or a guiding quote that you would like to share with us? I have a guiding principle, which is: whatever you do, make sure you enjoy it. If you don't, move on, walk away from it, find something that you truly enjoy, and then do it to the best of your ability. That will give you the basis for success, because if you enjoy what you do, you will love doing it, you will automatically do it to the best of your ability, and that will lead to success. Thank you, Mark, for giving us an insight into MPG's technology, showing that there's more to know about plasma and bonding than what one might classically think. Every functionalization with organic molecules is possible. Limitation of substrates, not known yet. Great traceability. Just to summarize the most important points. If one can say about the technology, and now I have to quote you, we can rather easily bond to Teflon. Wow, that's quite impressive. And who knows, maybe with this technology, the recallings by OEMs, because another sunroof has flown off, which is image damaging on both sides to the OEMs and to their diesel suppliers, will be a thing of the past. Additionally, there is a huge positive effect of banning solvent-containing primers from the manufacturing plants for both sides, for the people working there and for the environment. Thanks also for the personal insights into your way of starting, running and scaling business. It's exciting and inspiring to see how you have transformed even a painful experience of failure or mismatch in a job for your further growth. It's really great to have personalities as guests here in this podcast who don't accept the status quo and don't take the concept of good enough into their way of thinking. It's absolutely motivating. And a few words regarding your book, Negotiate Like a Local. First of all, thank you very much for giving me this great book as a present. Honestly, I have a personal connection to this topic because I have a multicultural background and I feel at home in some countries of the world. So I have a strong interest in understanding cultural differences in business and in life. So far, all books and classes on the topic have been really fluffy, as you said it. Your book reads very well, pragmatically, And I can really recommend your book to anyone who is interested in cultural differences in business, especially people with a technical and engineering background. It's everything, but not fluffy. Thanks for being our guest. And as always, thanks also to our technical community for their interest in sharing knowledge in interacting with exciting people from the tech world. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity uh, to share our technology with your listeners, Ludmilla. 
Um, I hope that uh, I've created at least a few um, aha moments for, for, for some of your listeners and that uh, this will put them on the part to start thinking about what they could do with our technology and how it, could help, how it can help them to, um, to, to develop more sustainable uh, production processes. I have one last request and uh, to, to all of the listeners, and that is, please, can you follow our company LinkedIn page? Because that's where we communicate all our news, all our new t- latest developments. So if you want to stay in touch with us, follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, The big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.